Monday, November 17th. Do you know where your children are? Is that, um, no, it's not did you see the hashtag that's trending today on the old Twitter? Nope. It's uh, hashtag why men need a break. I do need a break. Thanks. What, do you, what do you need a break from? Life, uh, capitalism, yeah. the crushing rate of the world, uh, expectations. Well, you're wrong because based on all the people promoting the hashtag, you actually need a break from feminism and girls being mean to you on the internet. Mm, I don't really get a lot of that. Well, that <laughs> hashtag is not for you, then. <laughs> it doesn't address any of the systematic problems that men face. Yeah, it does. They just they, they nailed it. Feminism. Feminism, right. Too much vagina getting, getting what they want. You yeah. know what I mean? Too much ladies talking and yapping. Not enough men drinking and thinking about football. Whiskey, cigars, football. I don't like cigars. Ugh. Cigars are whack. Um, whiskey's good. Football. Football's whack. Take it or leave it. Yeah, no, nah, football's whack. Just watch rugby instead. But you can't because this is America. <laughs> in America. <laughs> you can. You just got to wake up at 3 in the morning. Yep. You got to wake up at 3 in the morning. It's on some obscure NBC channel. And what you actually do is you go to the... Uh, subreddit for sports streams <laughs> and you just watch someone else's stream of it because who the fuck has nbc olympic gold or whatever the fuck that is. <laughs> yeah so that hashtag's whack um i do need a break but i don't think i need a break from feminism since i like feminism but i i do feel like i need a break from capitalism and the society in general i feel like i can't breathe in this goddamn country all they do is bother people fucking Tired of this shit. <laughs> been real emotional. And so we week. watched Brazil. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Been real emotional this week. Like, uh, Friday's song made me tear up when I was driving home from the gym yesterday. I was like, at the gym yesterday. It wasn't even one of the sad ones. It wasn't. It was <laughs> the one that's a cover of White Stripes. Uh, I can tell that we we're going to be friends. So <laughs> <laughs> it made me, like, you know, just got me. Was, I was at the gym for You're like, like we're not gonna be friends, Connor. <laughs> we're not. I was at the gym for like two hours doing uh real masculine stuff, doing deadlifts and shit, right? And then driving home, I was like, oh, I miss my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's been that kind of week. But um shit, baby Yoda though. <laughs> I like baby Baby Yoda single handedly saved Star Wars for me. Yeah, I mean spoilers, but Baby Yoda. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen it yet. I'm gonna watch the episodes tonight with the kids. Yeah, they have two episodes already. Yeah. Um I mean fuck Disney and Star Wars. It's all garbage. Baby Yoda. You know? <laughs> <laughs> baby Yoda though, I'm I mean they got me now. That's capitalism wins again. Thanks, John Favreau. I I really wanna watch the next fourteen Avatar movies. If it has Baby Yoda in it, I'll watch. Or Baby Avatar. Those guys might look cute. Probably not like Baby Yoda, though. It, like, looks like an expensive TV show. You know, it's shot kind of flat. Which is weird. They have movie directors directing it, right? Well, the first one is Favreau, right? John Favreau actually does not direct any episodes. He just oh, really? wrote them all. Yeah. yeah. And he's the... Taika Waititi, Taika, yeah. He'll direct an episode. He was in the first episode doing the voice of a robot. Uh, also, Werner Herzog's in the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> they interviewed him recently, and he was like, I've never seen a Star Wars, but I get the idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know a Star Wars. <laughs> I know a Star Wars. And then um, he also said that occasionally he watches WrestleMania. So <laughs> Werner Herzog's an interesting Yeah, that guy. fucking tracks. Well, he's got that quote where it's like... Um, to be a great poet, you can't close your eyes or whatever. And so his whole thing is, like, got to check in on the pulse of society, see what culture's like, which I get. And then he's like, I only watch like three movies a year. Fucking movies. <laughs> but we watched Brazil, which I think Werner Herzog would probably like. Um, I don't know if he's ever commented on it, but it seems like his kind of movie. <laughs> the guy that I, uh, I used to sit next to at work, uh, he recommended I, I see this movie one time. Um, he kind of always reminded me of dad. He's a really interesting dude. He used to work for NASA. Hmm. Uh, he had got a job offer to work for the CIA, but he said that he didn't want to sit in a windowless room and stare at pictures of landscape for uh, eight hours a day. Um, so this is like, I think he had like a you know, semi-retired. He only worked part-time at, uh, at Vanguard, hmm. but I'm very suspect as to why he wanted me to watch this movie now. <laughs> Do you wake from your finest fantasy only to return to your daily nightmare? Is your mother 
about to look younger than you do? Does the woman of your dreams... I love you. In my dreams, I love you. ...still have a few doubts? Then it's time to take a stand. To break out of your dull, humdrum life and into Brazil. You're so pleased. You can make it. Yeah, I'm guessing he wanted you to watch it because it's like, hey, this is how the government operates, and it sucks. That's why I'm not the CIA. In addition to that guy you worked with, this is also Frank Zappa's favorite movie. <laughs> that tracks too. Um, but unfortunately, when I was talking to our mom about it, she was like, oh, that movie's kind of weird, and I didn't really like it. She probably didn't see the director's cut, though. Yeah, she did, because that's the one that's mostly what exists. Yeah. So well, let's get into it. So we talk about that some more. 1985, two hours and 12 minutes. Um, directed by Terry Gilliam. Who's Terry Gilliam? He's I the, don't know. Who is he? He's the American Python, which sounds like his wrestling name. <laughs> but for those. And uh, it's like he's, a, he's got like a porno uh, angle. He's like Val Venus. <laughs> yeah. American Python. American Python. Let me look at this 12 inch Python. Uh, no, that's actually, he's in the Monty Python Flying Circus, and he's the only American. Boom, there you go. <laughs> in the political turmoil in the 60s, Gilliam feared he would become a terrorist and decided to leave the USA. He moved to England and landed a job on the <laughs> Yeah, he, he's like, man, I'm going to become a terrorist because of this shit. That's how I feel all the time, honestly. That's what I'm hey, talking but about. I'm like, don't, if you, I'm going to become a terrorist all this shit. Better move to fucking England. That's not any better. It might have been in the sixties. It was swinging then. <laughs> there, are, Margaret Thrasher is right around the corner. Yeah, he couldn't predict twenty years in the future though. <laughs> uh, he landed a job in the children's television show "Do Not Adjust Your Set" as an animator. There, he met his future collaborators in Monty Python, Terry Jones, Eric Idle, and Michael Palin. In two thousand six, he renounced his American citizenship, and then they started talking about Brexit. <laughs> and he was like, "Oh no." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, J.K. Rowling originally wanted him to direct the first Harry Potter oh movie. Oh my god, that went way better than Christopher Columbus. Check it out. The Warner Brothers Studios wanted a more family-friendly film and eventually settled for Chris Columbus. Uh, Terry Gilliam has made plenty of family-friendly films. Time Bandits, Baron Munchausen, <laughs> Jabberwocky. <laughs> <laughs> kind of the end of the list. 12 Monkeys, that's your kids. <laughs> we watched it when we were kids. <laughs> Uh, he also turned down opportunities to direct Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Forrest Gump, and Alien Resurrection. I think Forrest Gump directed by Terry Gilliam would be pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm into that. I'm, for that too. I was, I'm in for him directing uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I want to see him work with Bob Hoskins again. Yeah, Bob Hoskins is barely in this movie. He's practicing for his uh, work at Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, he gets top billing. Uh, during the filming of Brazil, he became so stressed that he temporarily lost the use of his legs, which only returned to normal several weeks later. What? Yeah, man. <laughs> so stressed out he couldn't walk. I just imagine him coming to set in a wheelchair, like blankets all over him. So, uh, action. I picture him in like that little bucket thing that he refuses and coming to America. Not coming to America. Trading places. Trading places. Places. I said places. Training. I'm pretty sure I said trading places. Trading places. Uh, he also tried to get a Watchmen movie going for a long time. <laughs> but uh, he wrote an accurate screenplay and said it would be unfilmable. But Zack Snyder showed him. <laughs> he said he would consider directing if it were made into a 12, 10 or 12 part cable television series. Man, he was about 30 years early on that one. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. That's the whole thing is Watchmen has always been considered unfilmable. Terry Gillum writing the screenplay and then saying it's unfilmable makes perfect sense. And then they decided to do it anyways. And You know, that full thing else, I don't even actually know if it is unfilmable, it's unmarketable. Well, actually exists. Brazil really is unmarketable too. Yeah. Um, he said, I think there's a side of me that's trying to complete compete with Lucas and Spielberg. I don't usually admit this publicly because I tend to think that they only go so far and their view of the world is rather simplistic, which I agree with. I try to bring that up a lot. That, uh, Lucas and Spielberg are the two bloodless guys from that generation. <laughs> Uh, what I wanted to do is take whatever cinema is considered normal or successful at a particular time and play around with it to use it as a way of luring audiences in. So, boom, there you go, which actually does kind of accurately describe most of the movies he's made. And that's a little bit about Terry Gilliam. What's your favorite flying circus sketch? Uh, the cheese one, the cheese monger. 
Oh, that one's pretty good. Mine's the one where the philosophers play, have to play soccer and they can't figure or it takes a long time to figure <laughs> That's out going like, to. the purpose of it. Brazil, a bureaucrat in a retro future world, tries to correct an administrative error and becomes an enemy of the state. Pretty simplified synopsis. Yeah, but also not really accurate. And yeah, I, yeah, not really. Yeah, he's not really. Say it again. A bureaucrat in a retro future world tries to correct an administrative error and becomes an enemy of the state. Yeah, he's more like trying to find a girl. <laughs> yeah, he does correct an administrative error. Like in the first half of the movie, but in pursuit of Jill, his dream woman, literally from his dreams. She got longer hair in his dreams. Yeah. Working titles for the movie included The Ministry, The Ministry of Torture, How I Learned to Live with the System So Far. <laughs> That's and, a very, uh... yeah. <laughs> that one's really <laughs> on point. The last one's pretty good too. And so that's why the bourgeoisie sucks. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, oh, just ooh, auspicious credits. It's ranked number 13 in Entertainment Weekly's top 50 cult films of all time. It's number one. I didn't check. Rocky Horror Picture. Probably. That makes sense. I mean, I get it. It's fun to go to the midnight showings and stuff. And that kind of like elevates it above a lot of other cult movies that still have such like an avid following. <clears throat> this is considered the second in Terry Gilliam's trilogy of imagination. The first was Time Bandits, and the third was The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. All three movies are about escapes from an awkward ordered society seen through the eyes of a child, a man in his 30s, and an elderly man. It's like, okay, I guess. And then in 2013, Terry Gilliam called this the first installment of a dystopian satire trilogy it forms with 12 Monkeys and Zero Theorem, which makes way more sense. <laughs> <laughs> so that first fact, complete bullshit. I don't think Terry Gilliam ever said that. This is something nah, someone just put people, together. Like, wait, people like Blade Runner and Firefly and Aliens are all the same thing. Yeah. That's just the people like, well, they all came out around the same time when they were good. Here's the big thing about Brazil. Uh, it was a big fight to get the movie released. So Universal Pictures that never happens. <laughs> uh, Universal Pictures executive Sid Sheinberg didn't want the movie released because he thought it was too pessimistic. The ending was down. Ah, they gotta end up with a lady at the end. He's gotta have a family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not commercial enough for mainstream acceptance. Yeah, that was his argument, and that's what the studio's cut is. Is like the love conquers all cut where. The last little bit of the movie doesn't happen where you realize he's just, his mind snapped. Yeah, I assume the lobotomy part. The yeah. Like where you go back to him and he's like, oh, I'm dreaming in my head. Isn't nope, there. it just ends with them driving off even though. Like it, none of that fucking shit made sense. <laughs> like what? How would any of that surreal shit make sense if that was the case? Uh, during the time when the studio was blocking the release of the film and were re-editing it for the infamous Love Conquers All version, copies of the director's cut were circulating on video around Hollywood. At one point, several critics began asking if the mo- if a movie that had been completed but not released could be eligible for a Best Picture Oscar. It's said that the potential embarrassment of this happening forced the studio to release, release the original version instead of their own shitty version. Terry Gilliam actually, in addition to that, um, he made an appearance on like the Today Show or something with Robert De Niro around the time, and um, basically he was like, uh, "Yeah, the studio doesn't want me to release this movie. Here's a picture of executive Sid Sheinberg. <laughs> Here's his address. This is the guy that won't let me release the movie." He also was uh, teaching a film class at the University of Southern California, where uh, he was allowed to screen the movie. And so everyone who was there, including critics that were in the audience because Cool and Terry Gilliam were like, what the fuck? Who is this movie? So there's pressure from that. And then, as you mentioned before, we started the podcast. He put out um, a, like a paper, ad, yeah, paper ad in Los Angeles. Basically, it was as if it was a funeral, an ad for a funeral. And it was about them not wanting to release the movie. And uh, eventually they were like, well this is too much we should probably do it because we just look like assholes (laughs) (laughs) surprisingly the studio gave in when their public image was under threat it seemed i don't know if you could get away i don't know how you would be able to do something like that now like could you imagine so imagine like edgar wright i can you absolutely could like edgar there's probably someone out there i don't know edgar wright doesn't have that that cloud i don't think but well imagine edgar wright actually got to make the ant-man movie he wanted they got 
like you know he was able to produce the movie. It was basically finished. Well, I don't know. Ant Man is a little bit different than and that's Brazil, when Marvel or Disney stepped in and was like, "Nah, never mind. This isn't what we want to do with Ant Man. So we're just gonna do another one." You think he would be able to be like? Man, no, with Ant Man, probably shit. not. But if he made his own original idea, then that's a little bit different scenario. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't. Comparing Ant Man to Brazil is a little bit unfair, in my opinion. Why? Because it's a property that's yeah. Owned by because him. like you, you have to know going into it that like, you don't have full control over that your your intellectual idea. It's not even yours. Yeah, that's true. That was at the point though where people didn't realize how much control Marvel yeah, exerted. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's the same thing. Like, I don't know. I don't think the fucking Zack Snyder cut actually exists, but people keep yelling about it. I, I thought they released it or something, didn't Did they? they? I don't think so. I thought there's a director's cut of that movie. Uh, who cares? I'm pretty sure they yeah, I don't. Not. I don't think it'll make it better since <laughs> it's perfect already. Do you believe? No, that's the Batman vs. Superman. I'm talking about Justice League. You know, oh, the, the oh without Whedon? Yeah. I don't man, both Joss Whedon and um, Zack Snyder are terrible directors. I don't give a I'll, fuck. I'll go on a limb and say that Joss Whedon is a better director and storyteller than Zack Snyder. Um, better storyteller, yeah. Uh, he, yeah, I, I mean, do. There are two different things, really. Yeah, but. I do appreciate like some of the campier splash page like stuff he did with Avengers, the first Avengers, mm-hmm. compared to other Marvel directors. But I don't think he has like a distinct visual style most of the time. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, he's a good storyteller. But he's same thing with Spielberg and all the disciples of Spielberg that I talk about. You, a got, lot. you ain't got no balls. Yeah, they don't. They've got. They got no flavor. They got no blood. They've never kissed a girl. You know what I mean? There's like, or they've never kissed anyone. They've <laughs> never had sex. They they just seem like weirdo dorks from the '80s that just don't understand being alive <laughs> or something. I don't know how to explain it just right, but it's basically like these guys are fucking weird. <laughs> Obviously, it's inspired by 1984. Uh, Terry Gilliam even joked that he was going to call it 1984 and a half. So Terry Gilliam, as far as the Pythons went, uh, most people aren't. He's not usually attributed. He's not like the on-screen guy, you know. He's not in too many sketches, and he's definitely never the focus of any sketches. So a lot of people just assume he just did the animation and like directing stuff, which he that was his main focus, but. He's attributed as being a writer in a lot of the sketches. And if you watched any Terry Gilliam movie, it's like, oh, yeah, he's funny. He gets it. <laughs> this Brazil movie is, is fucking hilarious. Yeah, this movie is fucking hilarious. <laughs> and it has Michael Palin in it, one of the Pythons. Yeah. Um, when they uh, filmed... It's also got uh, Catherine ha- Hammond in it, too. Yeah, when they filmed um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, it was directed by Gilliam. Um, but uh, him and the Pythons didn't get along while they were making it because I think it's a little bit of both arguments. So Terry Gilliam is the first thing he's ever directed. So he probably didn't have a, a great directing style yet. Didn't really know exactly what he was doing. And um, then the Pythons felt like they were being micromanaged because he was acting as if they were pieces of his animation. You know, he's mm-hmm. more used to control. But uh, also... The Pythons has never been in a movie, and they're used to just filming little sketches and in their own time. You know what I mean? So like, there's probably yeah, it's just a learning curve for both. Yeah. So since they didn't get along doing that, um, Terry Gilliam directed Jabberwockies instead of The Life of Brian, which is kind of a bummer. He did come back to do uh, Meaning of Life. There's you know the beginning of Meaning of Life when the office buildings attack each other <laughs> yeah. and they raid each other. There's like uh, I you. Um, that becomes kind of a running gag with Terry Gilliam. Like you even see it in this movie where it starts off with the happy home and then the SWAT team busts <laughs> in. Yeah, that's just a nice juxtaposition that he likes. I think it's pretty funny too. How will Father Christmas come in the house if he ain't got no chimney fodder? You'll see. You'll see. Oh, that's his, that's Terry Gilliam's daughter too. The girl with the wine <laughs> Uh The reference to form 27B-6 or slash 6. Stroke six is what they say in England, apparently, is a reference to George Orwell, who lived at Canterbury Square Apartment 27B, floor six, while writing parts of 1984. <gasps> wow. Um, who's in this film? Michael Palin. That's it. <laughs> no one else. Jonathan Price. Uh, you'll recognize him as um, 
the High Sparrow from Game of Thrones. <laughs> Probably not, though. <laughs> He's quite a bit older than that. He still has the same hairline, though. <laughs> he does. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he honestly looks the same, just like with white hair. Uh, also, Aemon Targaryen from Game of Thrones is in this movie. He plays Mr. Heltman. Bilbo Baggins is in this movie. Yep, Ian Holt. No. <laughs> um, just burped on my guts. Damn, damn, flaming hot cheeto. <laughs> <laughs> I got flaming hot guts. Uh, yeah, Catherine Greist is the love interest. Um, Terry Gilliam was not, even though he sought her out to be in the film, he ended up not being very pleased with the performance, so he kind of edited around it. And um, who else? Oh, Mario oh. Mario. Oh, oh, oh. Who who could it be? Uh, it's uh, the most famous Irish-American, Robert De Niro. <laughs> Playing a uh, superhero air conditioner, uh, HVAC repairman. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like the idea that Terry Gilliam's like, yeah, in the future, uh, superhero HVAC repairman. <laughs> yeah, that's the resistance, is uh, people working on the ducks. Well, there is a major focus on the ducks. Yeah. The you see him everywhere and stuff. Speaking Are of, you sick of the way your old ducks look? <laughs> Speaking of Robert De Niro, uh, Terry Gilliam and the crew were excited to have De Niro on board at first, but as time wore on, they found De Niro needed or De Niro's need for research and obsession with details increasingly irritating. <laughs> I feel like you got to know what you get into with De Niro. <laughs> Gilliam saying that he was that he wanted to strangle him. While most of the actors and actresses needed only two or three takes, Robert De Niro insisted on 25 to 30 takes for his character, <laughs> and he still managed to forget his lines. <laughs> his part was eventually filmed in two weeks rather than the one week Terry Gilliam envisioned. <laughs> <laughs> That's Jerry Love's laugh from the Joker. <laughs> I haven't Ooh. seen that movie in a long time. Is that actually Jared Leto's laugh from, from, yeah, from Suicide Squad? Yeah, and he he has that tattoo of a smiley mouth on his hands, and he puts it over his face. He's like, hey. mm-hmm. I know he's got deranged. I actually thought it was a pretty good visual gag. Everything else about that movie, well, nah, it's got whatever Captain Boomerang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got damage on his forehead. <laughs> Not Captain Boomerang, but Jared Leto. It's really on the nose. That's the thing is, I didn't have a problem with him looking kind of like a flashy cartel gangster. Cause I had a problem with him acting like a flashy cartel well, gangster. Whatever all the nerds on the internet say, like, fucking Joker is just a gangster who looks weird. Yeah, but I don't know. I just didn't. Well, it's, it takes place in modern times. You don't see gangsters in their three-piece suits yeah. yucking it up like Al Capone. I was fine with that choice visually. It's just like, tattoos fucking sucked, man. Just He can have tattoos. Just make them better. And don't put one on his fucking forehead. I mean, he can have face tattoos, nah, but like not. Joker doesn't have face tattoos. Why not? You don't think he'd get like the teardrops for all the people he's murdering? No, his face would be full of them. That's gangster, man. I don't think he gives. A, I don't think he thinks about the people he murders. Yeah, he does sexually. <laughs> I'm gonna write so. my own Joker movie. Making a weird Joker. Yeah, Joker's supposed to be weird. Why doesn't anyone push the envelope with the Joker? <laughs> no, they just did. It made a billion dollars, Kyle. They fuck. He's just a fucking incel. He's fucking Travis Bickle from Taxi Driver. They didn't do shit. They didn't push the envelope. It was probably envelope pushing for all these fucking dumbasses who've never seen a movie. And go make a billion dollars because fucking no one watches movies. Stay home and watch the Taxi Driver. God damn. How, how can they just make a billion dollars off a movie that already exists? It's ridiculous. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Can't live in this society anymore. No one knows anything. Well, you live in it, though. You live in a society. I have no other option for now. Get that anarchist commune going. <laughs> All right, fucking good, good to go. Just, I'm set it up in a little place called Jonestown, Guyana. Yeah, and I'm sure it's gonna work out fine. I don't. I've never heard anything bad ever happening. Yeah, I bet it's super haunted. Like, is that disrespectful to the dead? Is that you think it's super haunted, or I don't know. Jokes I'm, about it being super haunted. I don't know, man. It's, Do you legitimately think it's super haunted? Yep, I don't. I think there's. People there are like, where's the flavor aid? <laughs> Give me the flavor aid. Why didn't we spring for the Kool Aid? It's only five cents more. Flavor aid. Uh, Terry Gilliam admitted that the conclusion of the movie was the first idea that came to him. He asked himself, what kind of story would have a man going insane as a happy ending? Insane. 
But then he, he felt... I was, it just made a billion dollars. Oh. Hmm. Interesting. He felt that in refusing to give to a, give in to an inhumane system and going into a state where he cannot be further hurt via torture or death or anything else was a redemptive victory after a cold, awful life for Sam Lowry, perpetuated by a boring, bureaucratic society that won't let people fuck who they want to. That's what I'm talking about. This movie's <laughs> about me. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like this move, the society may have let him fuck whoever he wanted to. Uh, if you fill out the right paperwork and shit. Well, you're right. That's, I don't <laughs> fill out the paperwork and do shit. Fuck that shit. I'm tired of bureaucracy. Social security number? Fuck that. Deny, memorize nine numbers to deny you have a soul? Bullshit. <laughs> Fuck bullshit. I don't even care. I'm tired of it. I'm sending my social security card to renounce my citizenship. <laughs> go live in the woods. <laughs> Every day I careen further towards Ted Kaczynski. I don't think I'll do any mail, mail bombing then. <laughs> Maybe glitter bombs. <laughs> glitter bombs. Elephant poop? <laughs> <laughs> Who put this dookie on my porch? Oh, oh damn! It's flaming dookie again. Mm-hmm. Flaming dookie. Uh, yeah, I'll be all over the news like serial dookie bomber. <laughs> they finally got him. He's in the woods. He's out there listening to Bright Eyes nonstop. <laughs> found, we found him crying, <laughs> crying in his pile of dookie, listening to Bright Eyes. <laughs> he had three pigs. He's collecting their dookie, crying, listening to Bright Eyes. Whiskey everywhere. <laughs> All right, that's the end of uh, the notes and stuff I got. <laughs> Let's talk about this film. Talk about what it means. How it changed your life. One of the it is one of the the best films we watched. Most fun I've had on a film in a while. Yeah, after um, Halloween, the spooky stuff ended, and we were going back to like you know regular scheduled program. I was like, you know what? What if we watch like good movies for a while? <laughs> So, uh, we, I mean, I'm going to get you Sucka is a broad and goofy comedy, but I think it's still a pretty good movie. But from this point onwards with Brazil, we're going to have a string of pretty good movies. But uh, I don't know. There's some stuff coming down the pipe. I think that our uh, non-existent audience will like. <laughs> also, this movie kind of is the first movie for uh, uh, that sets us up for the cold, lonely season. <laughs> it takes place around Christmas. Yeah, my favorite Christmas movie. It's the best. Uh, no, Die Hard is the best Christmas movie. Die Hard. It's got that uh, Alan Rickman in it. Snape? Yeah, it's never a Snape. Have you ever checked out the community on the internet that's like wives of Snape? Nope. It's What's that about? Weird. It's about being in love with Snape and, you know, having sex fantasies about him. Hmm. And, oh, I pledge myself to Snape. It's kind of like being a witch, but instead of like pledging yourself to Satan. Snape? Snape. And then you don't get magic powers. You just uh, write fanfics on the internet. So kind of. I guess there's magic exactly in that, like right? Being in love with Satan. Yeah, there's sort of magic in that, right? There's like an element of like shamanism to writing and performance. Yeah, if yeah. you say so. I don't know. Well, I have a lot of uh, strange ideas. Some people have told me. <laughs> you know, that's just how I like to live. I like to. I like to think my own thoughts and just get out there and you know. So I'm supported by the society I live in because I'm a cis hetero white man, but secretly society has no idea that I'm fucking at war with it. <laughs> you made a very you know, powerless and <laughs> silent enemy society. That's right. It's a guerrilla warfare. I complain about you on my podcast. <laughs> Take that, society. What I like about Brazil is that it's weird and hard to explain, which is all I'm looking for in entertainment. I don't think it's hard to explain. It's just, um, well, yeah, I guess a little it bit. It is hard to explain. You know what I mean? Like, go well, out and like, um, find some random person on the street and explain Brazil to them. Yeah. Well, it's about a um, bureaucrat who. What's, well, first of all, what's a bureaucrat, Kyle? <laughs> this paperwork guys. The government paperwork men. It's uh, Hermes Conrad. <laughs> Technically, you are correct. Uh, Terry Gilliam f- um, films always exist in their own world you know what i mean it's like their own fantasy fantastic realism surreal kind of world it's uh you know the mighty boosh nope. like the first time you watch the mighty boosh you're like what is this what's this all about and then but when you allow yourself to be like all right it's just like welcome, that's just the way it is yeah welcome to the world of the mighty boosh i'm in it now and it's just tons of fun and weird shit and i love it the same thing with every terry gilliam movie where uh, you've seen dystopian pictures before, but 
this one has its own set of rules. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just like, yeah, you know, it's going to be weird. It's going to be funny. It's not going to be super serious until it is. And then you're like, well, that's kind of dark. For me, it's when um he hallucinates Michael Palin his headshot. And you're like, well, something's happening here. <laughs> For me, it's when he uh, hallucinates his mother's coffin. <laughs> oh, and all the jelly falls out? Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty wild. I also like his um, first, well, not his first interaction, but his second interaction with Michael Palin, where he realizes Jack is like a torturer, uh-huh. and like one of his triplets is there. Yeah. <laughs> he keeps calling her the wrong name. No, I'm Holy Faller. <laughs> he gives him a suit, and then she says, "Come on, big boy, I won't look at your willy. <laughs> Put it on, I won't look at your willy." <laughs> yeah, this movie's wild. Well, you got some notes. I have a couple. I know something good in there. I, I like the weird like off uh, off color references they make to the world like medical tokens. You can buy med- uh when they go to the uh, oh yeah for the lunch. Christmas presents yeah, yeah medical token you can use them at most doctors. I think like, the duck thing is what's crazy. It's so much emphasis on ducks, and then well, you gotta worry about that climate change. World's heating up. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, the thing too is it's Christmas time in England theoretically. Yeah. And his heating or his air conditioning stops and he's like dying of heat. It's like, man, what's going on? Why would that be the case? Wouldn't he be all freezing to death? Uh, I live in a society. A society. Yeah, then the concept of Robert De Niro's character being a renegade HVAC repairman. <laughs> like and like that's how he's resisting and dismantling society is by showing up to help people fix their heating when... There's, there's just too much work for the presumably government operated or privately owned, but yeah, you can't subsidized. Really yeah, the po- they're the post office. Yeah. Oh, the bombings that continue to take place. Uh, they're there to show that there's civil unrest of some kind. But people are just used to it by now. Yep. Uh, they're actually kind of... Kind of like school shootings. Oh, yeah. That's an apt comparison to the modern days he threw well he didn't throw them in there but he tried to make liken them to the ira bombings of the time which you can kind of see especially in the beginning when they're interviewing the guy and it's, it's been going on for 13 years and it's ah beginner's luck <laughs> <laughs> which I, hopefully is in a reference to that famous ira quote where it's like uh they're they called up margaret thatcher and they said you have to be lucky every day we only have to be lucky once Damn, Thatcher, <laughs> what you gonna do? What you gonna do when we come for you? Turns out she was lucky every day. Yeah, she, nah, she rest in piss, man. People out there pee on a grave. <laughs> yeah, up, I mean, Margaret it seems Thatcher. like a really hollow victory to me. She got everything she really wanted. <laughs> yeah. I bet I won't get to piss on a grave, then. Fuck it, do it. <laughs> Pissing on everyone's grave. Especially Gigi Allen's, because that's like... Uh, that's what he wants. Yeah, that's like... Uh, I, I love you, Gigi Allen. I'm going <laughs> shit on your grave. I, I was thinking about this the other day. You know, like, when Nelson Mandela freed, got freed? And, like, even in England, they were playing that special song about Nelson Mandela. And everyone was like, fuck, yeah. Same thing, like, with Thatcher when she died. Like, the radio was playing Ding Dong, the witch is dead and stuff. You know, like, shit like that doesn't really seem to happen communally anymore. Have you noticed that? There's, yeah. like, hashtags on Twitter and shit. That's about yeah. it. I no one listens to the radio, obviously, but there doesn't seem to be meaningful events. There just seems to be an endless barrage of spectacle. Meaningless spectacle. <laughs> we'll have to see. I mean, I don't know. Can you think of something you feel like would be worthy of of that? Well, I mean, to get a little bit political on our uh, Nostalgia Movie Podcast... Donald Trump went to the hospital yesterday because his, his yeah, butt- but we don't know shit about it. You know what, what? I I know what happened. He couldn't stop shitting out his do ass. <laughs> his butthole fell out. I'm I like sure to think he had like a Elvis Presley style situation, and they went in there and they're like, oh god, there's a forty pound white dookie stuck up here. <laughs> white dookie. Oh my god. That reminded me of a dream I had this morning. Yeah, you, you dreamed of a 40-pound white dookie? No, I dreamed I was, like, in someone's house that was, like, kind of falling apart. And we were, like, watching it for the weekend or something. Like, me and a couple friends. and uh, For fun or... I don't know. Uh, it, like, no, it was a dream. None of the context. It was, like, a Terry Gilliam movie. This shit was just happening. <laughs> but I, I had to pee because I had, it was, I had to pee in, the, in real life in the morning, <laughs> you know, so it, like, gets yeah, into your dream. 
So I went into the toilet and went to pee. But while I was peeing, there was a big dookie in the toilet, right? But then the dookie started to rise up and was changing shape and contorting and stuff like that. And then it started to turn into snakes having an orgy. And I was trying to pee on them. I can't pee. And then I woke up because I had to really pee. You know what I mean? <laughs> Kyle, get me Jason Reitman. I got a pitch for Ghostbusters 3. Dookie Snakes having an orgy. Dan Aykroyd would be into that shit. <laughs> I think that was in the original draft of Ghostbusters 1. <laughs> when they were like dimension traveling demon hunters. <laughs> but make sure there's a scene in there where I get a blowjob from a ghost. That's Dave. That made it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it did. It was a pivotal scene. Where you got to learn more about Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> more than you ever really wanted to know. Yeah. Drink this crystal vodka. I like how the personal carriers keep getting brought up. Or uh, his personal carrier. You know what I mean? Yeah, his little like go-kart. And it's one of the things they, they bring up to him when he gets captured at the end. It's one of his uh, his charges. Yeah, cause Whole of- fleet of missing personnel <laughs> carriers. Yeah. I, it's, I like that. <laughs> so in this like very bureaucratic, stilted society... Those little kids in the ghetto still just lit his car on fire. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> Fucking burn down more bureaucratic shit. Destroy society as a whole so it can be improved. Oh, the one thing I didn't quite get is it seemed like there was there was someone that was following him or Jill. What? You mean like the Babadook? Yeah, I remember like there's like a dude in a trench coat and a hat outside Jill's apartment at one point, And he kept running, in, kept running into him. Oh yeah, I couldn't remember. I couldn't figure out what that dude was supposed to be. Huh? I don't know if it ever like came together. He made just a spook. <laughs> he's just a spook. Just a spook. That's a spook watching on. He's watching the spooks. Well, because she was um under investigation, kind of. You know what I mean? Like, and now it seems like they. Well, I mean, the, the bureaucracy under is just investigating shitty. everyone all the time. Yeah. yeah, and like they were just on to her because she was on to their fuck up with the Tuttle Buttle thing, mm-hmm. which is all caused by a fly corpse. The guy smashes the fly and falls on a typewriter and makes Buttle instead of Tuttle. And it's it's all played for laughs, but if you actually think about like that guy's family. Yeah, and when and Sam goes to visit him, it's like, man, this is kind of dark. Hey, let's think about how that uh, that's actually happened in real life, essentially. They burst in the wrong house and arrested the wrong people and uh, shot the wrong people before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, shooting, shooting dogs, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad that can never happen in this great society. American exceptionalism prevents anything like that. Our bureaucracy runs very smoothly. Oh, you know what? Jill doesn't have any reason to like Sam at any point. Oh, no, that's a part. Like, the whole... Their whole relationship doesn't make sense to me. I get, like, him wanting, being infatuated with her. Yeah. But I don't get her wanting to do have anything to do with him. Well, even at first, it's fine. But then all of a sudden, there's just a turn where she's like, yeah, let's bang. Yeah. Like, what? Why? Yeah, let's get some necrophilia. Oh, that was a hot joke, though. Like, <laughs> if I was, like, seeing a girl and, like, the situation came up like that and she said that line, I'd be like, oh, yeah, we're getting married. <laughs> that was a fucking oh, Here's a line. date watch update. <laughs> oh, shit, I forgot about date watch. I forgot I was going to that show. <laughs> it's coming up. <laughs> it is, like, a month away. <laughs> Show's a month away, no dates. No dates. But if you got uh, some, some clever lines in you, like the necrophilia that Jill throws at it, uh, yeah, but there's no reason for her to have feel any way about him. He's um, a goofy bureaucratic monkey with a bad hairline. He looks like an Englishman, like you know. He's got a rich mom though. Oh, is that what? It, yeah, because that when they get to her mom's apartment, she's like, "Well, maybe," because <laughs> all he's only even just still been a dick to her really up until then. You know, <laughs> even to the point where he just kind of leaves her in the apartment. Yeah, he blamed her for the bombing outright because he's programmed. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of if uh, if she's being really coy about a package and all of a sudden there's an explosion after she disappeared from some from my line, I might be like, "Do you sure you didn't have a bomb?" I'd be like, "Was that? Did you do that bombing?" And if you did, want to bang? We'll bang. <laughs> we'll bang. Okay. Except if I don't speak that way to women, I say, "We'll bang." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You can hear the subtle difference. <laughs> yeah, it's only the tone. I don't ask him. I I let it know what's I let him know what's gonna happen. <laughs> Little bang, okay. That's from uh, Mass Effect. Well, <laughs> technically, it's not from Mass Effect, but well, kind of it is. Check it out. 
So there's a line in it that kind of sounds like that's what he said, and then it became a meme, and like people, you know, we'll bang, okay? And and then uh, they got Matt Mercer, who's the voice of Shepard, to actually say it at like some convention, and then they just like someone made a mod for the (laughs) the game. (laughs) I don't know if it's been patched in the game. That'd be pretty cool, but it comes up a lot. It will be after they hear this podcast. Mass Effect videos. (laughs) We'll bang, okay? (laughs) <laughs> there's one video that i can't recall the title of or like even the context of it but it's basically like that lines in like 30 times he's just saying it at the end of like every conversation <laughs> <laughs> well bang okay <laughs> for a game that gets a lot of like jokes about oh you just travel through space and bang aliens you don't get to bang very many aliens in those games is that your big complaint it is actually aliens? like also there's always like super hot like human men and women in it. And you're like, hmm, maybe I'll bang them. But you're like, what? I could bang men and women in real life. I'm try- out here trying to bang aliens. <laughs> Should be only aliens with like three titties and four dicks. Hell yeah. <laughs> Some kind of crazy thing I never even seen before. Yeah, just a giant like butthole. You bang it. <laughs> so that's how you save the galaxy. Too. They sh- instead of the Reapers being living ships, they should. Well, they could still be living ships, but you bang their port like the the engine hole. To defeat him. And you're like, we'll bang, okay? And then Sarah and the villain's like, no, don't bang my ship. <laughs> I feel like you've made we'll bang, a much okay. different uh, different game. Perhaps um, some sort of sexual assault simulator. Well, with Bioware just going down the tubes, um, they're, they're going to need solid new ideas. <laughs> so it's uh, Mass Effect, Bang Dromeda. <laughs> bang. I said that word a lot. You said bang a lot. <laughs> I'm enjoying it today. It's not a word I normally say, but I'm feeling it today. I'm feeling it. I don't usually use it as a, a, a slang for, for sexy stuff. I usually use it as like a sound effect, like a gun. Bang. Bang. I like to use a uh, Donald Trump gun sound effect. <laughs> Why is his nose so runny? It's all the fucking Adderall. <laughs> That's what the problem was. He fucking had a stroke from the Adderall. Well, I mean, there's one good thing you could say about Trump is with him in office and the general trajectory of the United States, at least we won't end up in this boring bureaucratic dystopia. <laughs> yeah, because he can't construct any functioning bureaucracy, even a shitty one. Documents and documents and documents. That's what the Nazis were all about, too. People forget that. They're just fucking... Fucking documents. <laughs> Papers, damn, please. Goddamn bureaucracy. It'll get you. I mean, also, you know, the racist views and stuff. That's <laughs> so it's kind of the apex. But then also the bureaucracy, man. Man. Oh, my God. We've gotten pretty far this, from we Brazil. we got way far from Brazil. I don't know. I, I say this every week. But what is this podcast about? It's about You got to tell us because I don't even know. It's about getting your feelings out, apparently. Talking to tell you, man, just had a rough week. Actually, it wasn't bad at all, but I've just been really emotional and got a lot of stuff on my mind. And Brazil didn't help. I, uh, they were, at one point, they were going to have all the dream sequences be like one segment towards the middle of the movie. And it's like, I don't know how the movie would work that way. Yeah, I don't get that. That's, that's probably why I didn't do it. Yeah. But um, the dream sequences are weird. Well, I mean, they're cool, but I mean, the concept of him... Oh, I had a dream about this dream woman, and this woman in real life kind of looks like her, so now I'm obsessed with her. It's like, well, I mean, the other thing too is this can also be the way I would interpret it uh, in my head is that it's probably some woman he's seen on the street at some point. He started dreaming about her. Oh, uh, isn't that the, some theory that people have that your brain can't create made up people in your dreams, so it's always like some background figure you've uh, seen, I never read that, that seems like sense. a stranger. I don't know about that because I've had dreams about Bigfoot. I've never seen Bigfoot. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen Harry and the Hendersons, though. Oh, you're right. And you know what? It kind of does. Yeah. He kind of did look like Harry and the Hendersons, too. It always is just kind of like what you think Bigfoot would look like. (laughs) And Craig T. Nelson was there. (laughs) I've seen pictures of him. His dreams are pretty cool. Like, I just had dreams about, uh, like, Dookie Snakes. (laughs) But he's, like, Icarus flying around saving a damsel and stuff. Yeah, I was waiting for his wings to melt. Yeah, he flied too close to the sun. And then when she gets captured, she's captured by bureaucrats, basically. I mean, they're depicted as little hunched-over monster baby-faced guys, and you find out the torturers wear baby faces. I don't know. There's some stuff going on there. Some stuff to think about. Why does she have long hair in the dreams? It's because uh, it's dream fantasy feminine 
like goddess uh, stereotype, and then in real life she's not exactly that person, but he still loves her anyways because he's fucking just desperate for a connection. I think that might be it. But I had dreams about Robert De Niro, and then Robert De Niro showed up, Tuttle, and fixed his heating. He'd probably be in love with Robert De Niro. <laughs> he, yeah, he I was, mean, who wouldn't be in love with Robert De Niro in this movie? He's just desperate. Robert De Niro is a little, he's too little for me. What a man. Nah, I have like very specific taste in men. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, little guys out there. I'm not attracted to you. I don't like little guys. <laughs> they already wear, uh, from what I understand of, of Tinder, if you're under six feet tall. You're yeah. not allowed to participate. <laughs> Sorry about it, guys. I don't think you're bad people or you don't deserve to have a voice or anything, but I won't date you. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> uh, shit. I guess that doesn't make it better. That's the whole argument, right? Like, I can't do anything about my height. It's also, you know what? You can't help what you're attracted to. I'm like, Sorry, little fellas. <laughs> <laughs> you're not making it any better at all. <laughs> I'm not trying I'll to. make it better. I won't date a woman under five foot six inches tall. Your wife is tall. She is tall. Yeah, she's like 5'10", 5'11". But you're tall, too. Like, you know, 6'1", six, six 6'2". I keep thinking... No, you're not. You're tall. <laughs> <laughs> I keep thinking one of your kids is like just uh, about 17 years old. is going to be like 6'8", or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, whoa, Remember when, um, when I was on the basketball team in fifth grade? One of the kids on the sixth grade team, uh, the sixth graders on the team was six feet tall in yeah. sixth grade. I can, uh, I always think about that kid and wonder how tall he actually got to. It would be interesting if he kept growing, but I remember um, when we first moved here, there was a kid that was like six feet tall at like 14 or whatever it was. And then, <laughs> By the time you graduated high school, you were taller than him? Yeah, he just didn't grow. He just, he's done. He just, all right, that's as tall as I'm going to be. I'm like, Maybe he grew more. I don't know. I don't talk to people from high school. That's bullshit. But I doubt it. Four <laughs> years not growing at all. I doubt it. He probably started menstruating and then didn't grow anymore. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we need to send you back to health class. <laughs> I don't know. Everything <laughs> I know about life I learned from Brazil. And they don't talk about menstruation at all. I don't, yeah. even, I don't even know where I learned the word. What other Terry Gilliam movies do you like? Twelve Monkeys. Twelve Monkeys. I, I remember liking Time Bandits a lot, but it's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah, it's got a lot of little people in it. We'll probably watch that one eventually, and Munchau, Baron Munchausen. And then eventually, like ten years from now, when we're doing the podcast and we just have to do whatever, we'll watch Twelve Monkeys. <laughs> the fucking 90s, whatever, I don't know. When we run out of 80 movies, we'll move it up a decade. Mm-hmm. Or we'll move it back a decade, we'll go into the 70s. When I was watching Brazil, like during the um, chase sequences, uh-huh. like through the city when they're driving the truck and stuff, I was like, you know what? The 80s kind of are, it is the best time period in film, I think, because it's like, it's the perfect, like, cross point of artistic integrity and freedom with um, of practical and special effects being good enough and cost prohibitive enough to be used sort of across the board. And then now it's just gone so far into just money-making schemes that all it is is special effects <laughs> and no artistic integrity. So, yeah, the 80s were the best uh, movies that come out now. Travesty. I agree with Francis Ford Coppola. Every movie that comes out, including The Irishman. <laughs> De-aging special effects. You're, no, sorry, Scorsese. You're done. You should just cast a younger actor. That's what you used to do. Mm, just get Robert De Niro's grandson. Bobbert De Niro. <laughs> He has to have grandkids. He's an old man. Yeah, I'm sure. I don't know anything about his personal life, but I imagine he does. Whatever. I'm done talking about Brazil. What do you want to talk about? Nothing. Well, I don't want to talk about shit. You want to talk about how people need to go to McVentureProductions.com and give us money? Uh, yeah, go to McVentureProductions.com. We would appreciate your money and attention. You know, uh, attention like more us, than anything right us. now. Rate us on tunes and iTunes. Google Plays. I don't. I don't know if it means shit, but do it anyways. I guess. Yeah, I don't Spotify know. Spotify probably has something there. You can do do some things. On, I don't. You know. Tell your kids about us. Tell, tell your friends. Tell your, tell friends. your mom. Tell your grandma. Tell, tell your, your neighbors. Tell your priest. Tell your short-haired uh, woman of your dreams. Short-haired woman of my dreams. Hmm. Who would it be? Hmm. Kieran hmm. Eiley with short hair. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it was a Catherine or Audrey Hepburn. 
That's all I automatically think of when people say short hair woman of your dreams. She had a pet deer. I have a pet deer. What? No, I don't. Oh, it's a dog. They both start with D, but they're different. <laughs> oh, I'm often confused. That must be that explains her affinity for bones. You would learn. You would know that if you watched more movies like I did. <laughs> the soul <laughs> stop reading so many damn books. <laughs> yeah, stop reading books. It's about watching movies. You can read a book where it describes a deer, but you won't know what a deer is until you see it in a movie. In the film Deer Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, VHS dangerous game. Productions.com. Tell everyone about us. Tell all your friends. Taking Back Sunday's seminal album. Tell all your friends. I don't remember the name of any of their other albums. I don't think I listened to any of their albums. And Grimes has a new album coming out. Oh, Grimes is short hair. That's, <laughs> there you go. Or Claire. She doesn't really want to go by Grimes anymore. Ah, fuck you. You don't get to do that. You're not Prince. Well, she can do what she wants, man. She's better than Prince. She's the artist of the decade. Shit. Frank Ocean uh, got a like, uh, best album of the decade, but uh, Grimes is the best artist. <laughs> And probably a thousand years in the future when we live in an AI-controlled bureaucracy, the only thing we'll be allowed to listen to are grime songs praising AI. <laughs> That's because Elon Musk uh, programmed that AI. Elon Musk didn't program shit. He spent a bunch of money. That's fair. He spent a bunch of money. He don't do shit. He spent a bunch of money to have someone, someone else program it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it still doesn't work very well, just like in Brazil. Cool SVHS cult. Go fuck yourself. I'm sad. They just dollars, 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 doll